Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today we are going to talk about breastfeeding, but we're also kind of going beyond with my special guest today, Dr. Colby Cohen-Archer. Dr. Cohen-Archer, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. For those of you who might not know her, Dr. Colby Cohen-Archer earned her MS and PhD in counseling psychology from Virginia Commonwealth University and spent the first nine years of her career working with students in college counseling centers. Anticipating the birth of her second child, she transitioned to private practice in 2005 and opened the Postpartum Adjustment Center in 2007. She has earned a certified perinatal mental health professional designation from Postpartum Support International and provides workshops and training on perinatal mental health for professionals and women's groups across the state of Kentucky. So before we dive into this completely, I just want to remind the audience, we're going to talk about birth trauma And we are. We're going to talk about birth trauma. But for some of us, when we see birth trauma, we think about physical trauma of the birth to the baby. And that is not what Dr. Cohen Archer is going to talk about. She is a psychologist, and she's going to talk about the impact of the birth experience on the mother. Have I got this right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Need to make sure that we're all kind of starting from the same the, the same place. So, right. talk to us a little bit about what, in your world, constitutes birth trauma. It's a good question because people vary on what they think, as you uh-huh. as you implied. Um, to me, birth trauma is really any birth experience that a woman has that she herself perceives as traumatic. Um, and that's my that's my working definition when I am seeing clients um, in therapy. So there's there's the clinical definition of trauma, um, which is post traumatic stress disorder, and it has a number of different symptoms that are required to make that diagnosis. And I'll talk some about that. But I really believe that um, even for women whose symptoms don't rise to that level of Um, intrusion on their life, a traumatic birth experience really can affect a woman in many, many ways. Um, So I guess I'll start with what is the the worst case, the the clinical definition of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, And that is when a woman experiences, actually, I'm going to pause, a woman or her partner, because you can, you can get trauma from seeing somebody else go through something. Um, They have an experience where they have a fear of um, death, their death or the death of their baby. Um, it also can be a fear of sexual assault in the in the official definition. Um, 
or you see it happen to someone else. And after that exposure, you have a number of symptoms that intrude on your life. So that can be memories, nightmares, body sensations, flashbacks, um, intense emotional reactions. And as a result of that, um, we're drawn to avoid those things because they feel bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it also changes moods that people experience, um, can change the way that you think about yourself and the world, your beliefs you have about yourself in the world, um, and also just your, your bodily reactivity. So um, you might be tooling around in your life and being a pretty chill person and you experience this trauma and all of a sudden you're jittery, you, you jump at small sounds, you're irritable, angry, um, can't sleep, you can't concentrate. And all of those symptoms really impede your ability to do what you need to do. And for moms, that would mean impairing your ability to take care of your baby or yourself, um, sometimes going to work, interacting with your spouse, taking care of other children even. So that's sort of the clinical version of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, But with birth trauma... I don't think it has to be that intense, both the symptoms that a woman experiences or the actual event. Um, And many times what, standing from the outside, you might look at a woman's birth experience and not see it being traumatic, but the woman herself will experience it as traumatic. And um, kind of what you were alluding to at the beginning. Um, So... Tell me this, is, is it about the physical experience? I would assume so, but it could be also about other things. It could be about the mean yes. nurse or some such thing, yes? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was this very interesting study in the Netherlands that I found recently from 2017 where they interviewed women who had self-identified their birth experience as traumatic. And it was really interesting because what they identified as contributing most to their experience of trauma, it wasn't necessarily the pain. Um, It was the perceived loss of control or lack of control. Oh, yes. Yes. And nobody can look outside of you and tell what your experience is about that sense of control, right? Yeah. So when you perceive a lack of control, um, it's a really bad way to begin your your life as a mother and the the development of that sense of identity that you have as your mother self. Yes. Um, and so that's really one of the big... Um, the big pieces of that. Okay. Yeah, and the, uh, some other ones actually are um, intense pain. So I had the, the privilege, actually, of being with um, on, in one birth that was not mine. It was a friend of mine's. And um, I remember her saying afterwards how much she did not anticipate it hurting as much as it did. Um, and that was, that was with even... Uh, medical pain relief. And that experience alone made the experience traumatic for her, just yeah. not yeah. not knowing how much that was going to hurt. Sure. Um, the discrepancies I, I, between what people expect and what really happens, 
that's also one of the the things that was found in that study from the Netherlands that um, contributed to women's perception of of trauma. And um, I think that's really important because how we prepare, how women prepare themselves for the birth process and how we as providers help to prepare them is one of the big things that really can try to avoid trauma on the front end. Um, As you were saying that, I was thinking about prenatal education and that so many women these days say, oh, I don't really know. I don't need to do that. I'm I'm getting my epidural. You know, it's like, well, yeah, maybe you need to be able to understand (laughs) this a little bit better. You really do. There's so much in in our culture here in the U.S. about you know, preparing for where's your baby, you know, what's your baby going to wear and where are they going to sleep and what's the room look like and, you know, doing a registry. And if we put half that information and that energy into preparing for what happens when you actually give birth, I think it would help. Most definitely. Most definitely. And the, the fact that a lot of women do get epidurals is fine. Um, I, I, in my practice, find that I've had more women, I think, who went into birth wanting a, a natural, unmedicated vaginal birth and being disappointed at what happened because that's not what happened. Um, in our state, a woman has about a 33% chance of coming out of their birth with a C-section. That's and I don't think national it, average. Yeah, I, th- I don't think it's different from national. Um National is 32 point something. So yeah, you're, you're about on target. Right in there. Right. (laughs) Um, So if, if that's not what you wanted and that's what happened, you have a greater discrepancy between what you expected and what happened. Um, If, if you're not flexible in what you are accepting in your birth experience, then anything that diverges from that could potentially be traumatic, not just because there's so much that we believe that that we and our bodies have control of in that birth process, um, mm-hmm. and that if you end up with an, intervent- an intervention that you didn't want, um, it really can contribute to feelings of failure, and that can contribute to trauma. Um, and it's also scary. Yeah. So. Yes. I, I try to talk with women when I have the opportunity to see them um, while they're pregnant about let's talk about what might happen both with a vaginal birth, with a potential C-section, and talk about what are some of the things that you would like, um, what are your preferences, uh, so that if you're in the moment, in the middle of your birth, and you have the opportunity to make choice that you can do that, that you can voice it, or you can have someone who's with you voice it for you if you're not able to. And that is to help that perceived sense of control, which then can decrease the chance that that will be experienced as a traumatic birth by that woman. As I hear you talking, I've got about 18 stories that are flashing <laughs> by my own mind here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me go to the the pain part for a moment. To this day, to this day, I recall seeing a labor and birth which was absolutely horrific. That woman had every intervention I'd ever seen, and probably a few that I hadn't seen at that time. It was a long labor. It was a difficult birth. It was a, a just. It was just everything. And I walked out of that room at the time myself, quite young 
thinking to myself, I am never going to have a baby. It was just, (laughs) oh, and the fact that I can remember it and it's been Mm -hmm. however many years tells me that, now fortunately the next night I worked with a patient that (laughs) had a very easy labor, but uh, (laughs) the fact of the matter is it made such an impression on me. What I wonder is, does that affect the woman's ability to say, forget it, I am never going to have another baby. Does that happen? Oh, yes, absolutely it does. Um, I think many women who are traumatized by their first birth will immediately come out of that experience and say, I'm not doing that again. Ever again. But I, yeah. Ever again. Um, especially women whose symptoms really do rise to the level of clinical distress and they don't get help. I think actually don't end up um, choosing to have another baby. Um, Now we know there's a large percentage of women who get pregnant and didn't choose that, but um, which then leads to the need for more preparation to go into this potentially scary experience again. But many women will avoid. Presumably an increased uh, feeling of loss of control as well. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And and avoidance itself is one of the symptoms of trauma. Oh. Um, because with trauma, we get triggered. So the word triggered is big in our culture right now. But it came, I think, from the national conversation about trauma, largely in wars and um, in Iraq and Afghanistan. But it happens in birth trauma as well. Um, that anything that reminds you of the experience can then trigger distress and it can trigger anxiety, shame, anger. And where that becomes very difficult is when those triggers are right there next to you, um, Mm. whether it's your baby crying or um, your milk coming in. Um, So there can be body, sort of internal body signals that can serve as emotional triggers for trauma. It can be the baby. It can be having to go back to have a checkup with your provider. Um, I've had women who refused to even drive down the street where the hospital was, where she gave birth. Oh, my. And so I, I will often tell women, table the conversation about having another child yeah. for yeah. until the end of treatment and or a year. Um, because you're not, if you make a decision not to have more children from the place of trauma, then really that decision is just an aspect of avoidance, which is a symptom that will go away as you get treatment. Sure. I know that we're talking about trauma, but I feel compelled to say that I've also seen many women who get through birthing their baby, and they have said, and I've heard this Many, many, many times I've heard them say, I'd do it again. I'd do it again. I'd do it again. And it's like it just flows out of their mouth. No, it tumbles out of their mouth in a way that it it almost feels to me like they just can't shut off that verbalization. And so it seems to me like they have had a completely opposite uh, Mm -hmm. kind of reaction And they have had some sort of birth experience that has been exhilarating or something or other. In fact, you know, sometimes I will joke with the woman, well, don't worry, you don't have to do it again today. You know, we're we're all all done here for today. But uh, truly, it's one of those things where uh, there's a, a real 
a range, a real spectrum of what happens as well as people's reaction. Hey, everybody, don't go away. Uh, We are talking today about birth trauma from the perspective of the birthing mother. And I'm talking with Dr. Colby Cohen-Archer. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I am here today with Dr. Colby Cohen-Archer, and she's talking about birth trauma from the standpoint of the mother and her birthing experience. Uh, I would just like to remind all of you that if you are looking for your 90 hours of lactation-focused education, I have that both live and online. Please visit me at mariebiancuzo.com. That's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. And if you would please take a moment to read my blog. Lots of interesting stuff on there. Free information. Don't miss it. 
So as we are talking about these experiences, my question would be, how do these birth experiences uh, change the woman's life or change her sense of identity or who she is? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, it's it's a great question. Um, right before the break, you mentioned these women who have births and are ready to do it again, and they're all excited and empowered. And I think starting from that place... Um, makes sense to me in talking about this because you see those women who have truly found their voice. They have reached down in their body, right? And they've pushed out this baby or made it through their C-section with elation and excitement about this, this new life and this new chapter in their lives um, and the sense of empowerment. And you flip the coin on that and you look at a woman who came out of that feeling afraid, feeling Like maybe her body failed her. Um, Like maybe she failed herself by not being uh, prepared and having accurate expectations for what the experience will be like. And and how does that impact her sense of herself as a mother? Um, And many times, because trauma does change a woman's or a person's um, beliefs about themselves and the world, you get this this intersection between her identity shifting and the trauma. So women will come out of a traumatic birth with a sense that the world is not safe, mm-hmm. um, that maybe they are unable to keep their babies safe because they weren't able to give birth in whatever way they felt was needed. Or for women who have had other kinds of birth trauma, such as uh, a preterm birth, you know, they'll say, my body failed me. I wasn't even able to keep my baby in long enough. Um, or even um, since this is typically a show on breastfeeding, breastfeeding can be traumatic as well, even for women who've not had a trauma during the birth, but mm. starting to feed your baby immediately if your body isn't working in the way that you want it to in the way it needs to. Um, and that fear that if I can't feed my baby my baby won't be okay. And gets therefore, into, I'm not okay. Therefore, I'm not okay, and I'm a failure. Yeah. How can I do this? Um, so it really shifts, really, that that very foundation sense of adequacy, uh, which is which is very problematic for continuing to take care of baby and growing her identity as she goes forward. Um, I guess my question here is, how long can this last and how long does it last? And I think those might be two separate questions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I guess it's it's important to note that all people who experience a trauma and all women who experience birth trauma don't go on necessarily to have difficulties. Um, okay. It's, it's, the research is about 8 to 10% of uh, people who experience a trauma, now this isn't specific for birth trauma, but trauma in general, 8 to 10% will go on to have that be a problem. For the rest of people, they tend to sort of process it and move through it um, mm. after a bit of time. Mm. Um, but it can last for a long time and it can actually get worse because, again, if it's shifted your perception of yourself or the world, 
um, negatively, and then you continue to see yourself or the world through those th- that lens of inadequacy or failure or lack of safety, you'll continue to observe other things that happen that feed into and give credence to that belief system. So whereas you can start by saying, I wasn't safe or my baby wasn't safe in the hospital, and then you get home and you have difficulties with breastfeeding or the anxiety from the trauma grows and grows and all of a sudden you're afraid the baby's not going to continue breathing or they're going to get sick or you're going to drop the baby, (laughs) you know, so there's all of these Mm -hmm. other things that contribute. And then, and then you can, you can really struggle for a long time. So it can manifest itself in a slightly different way, but it's really a reflection of that experience. Mm -hmm. Uh And it's not uncommon for women to experience birth trauma plus another anxiety disorder or also postpartum depression, Um, postpartum OCD, where women have intrusive thoughts of um, bad things happening to their babies or they themselves, the mom herself doing something uh, to harm the baby. That's, that's three to 6% of women postpartum already, not even including the trauma. And then you get the trauma on top of that. It's kind of a bad double dose. Yeah, I asked the part about the duration of this because I distinctly remember that my mother, until well into her late 80s or possibly early 90s, would tell the story about this nasty nurse that she had for her first birth. And she remembered this nurse and her exact words. She remembered what her name was. She could tell you every detail of how this nasty nurse was just so disrespectful, condescending, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, how could somebody remember this all these years? It Mm -hmm. clearly made an impression on her. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you know how women get together and we share our birth stories, right? (laughs) That's normal. It's part of almost the socialization of being a mom. There's there's two things, (laughs) two things in what, what you just shared that that brought to mind for me. One is that part of the avoidance of trauma is that women who've experienced birth trauma often will not want to talk about their birth experiences. And sometimes that's actually one of the first things that clues me in that a woman has experienced a birth trauma because when I ask about it it's very vague Uh um, and she really doesn't want to talk about it a lot and so that's you know that's um, a kind of a sad aspect of uh, post-traumatic a traumatic birth is that you don't get to share in that bonding experience Um, but the other the other piece of that is that what your mother experienced actually came up as one of the uh, one of the top reasons that women themselves cited for their birth being traumatic, and that is communication, lack of support from the caregivers that mm-hmm. were there with her. Uh, it's it's huge, and it's one of the ways that providers really can decrease the chance that a woman experiences even a birth that objectively would look traumatic as not traumatic. Um, In this research, 
they even asked women whose babies had died during the birth what oh. they perceived as um, causing this to be traumatic. And it wasn't the death of their infants. It was the loss of control or the lack of support, whether it was emotionally or physically, from their caregivers. So um, whether it's the nurses, the physicians, the midwives, the doulas, even the families who might be there, they have a tremendous amount of, um, I would say, responsibility. Somebody else might say power to help a woman a woman feel um, supported and heal from what could potentially be a traumatic birth and come out of that not feeling like it was traumatic. It might be awful. It might have been scary, but not necessarily traumatic. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because as I'm hearing you talking, I'm thinking my mother's story hit me so hard that when I became a labor and delivery nurse, I tried very hard not to say stupid things or or to seem insensitive or whatever. Now, I don't know how successful I was, but uh, I I tried very hard not to have something that somebody would be telling a story 40 years later of how I was the best nurse, you know? Yes. (laughs) I don't want that that story to be about me. Thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about the impact that that can have on breastfeeding. And the reason I say that is I see a couple of different things. I see the I am so exhausted or I am so in pain or I am so with my head over here because I don't even know if my baby is going to live or die. And you're in there at telling her how important it is to pump to get the milk and I, I cannot imagine the kinds of mixed feelings that mothers might have over that. So how does this impact what they do or don't do with their breastfeeding experience? Can you speak a little bit to that? I can speak from my just anecdotal experience with my clients. I haven't sure. read any specific research on that. Um, I wasn't able to find that. But um, I think breastfeeding has the ability to both contribute to trauma and heal the trauma. Um, so it, it sort of has a, an option on either side because if you've had a really traumatic birth experience that you came out of feeling inadequate and unempowered and then you have this really positive, wonderful experience of breastfeeding where you see your body is able to do this and you're able to bond with your baby, I think that can actually help heal a Absolutely. traumatic birth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, because trauma can be so dysregulating to all of the systems in your body that usually run it, so the systems that tell you when you're hungry, um, when you're tired, when you need to move, when you need to sleep, those all actually get very disruptive. Your whole arousal system gets disrupted. And we know that breastfeeding relies a lot on that um, neurobiological connection between mothers and babies. So if your system is dysregulated and really the baby is getting his or her regulation from yours, now we have two people who are a little bit dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that can be in being able to recognize when the baby needs to breastfeed or when you need to breastfeed. It can be in feeling too anxious uh, while you're feeding and we know that anxiety can um, 
sort of hold back some of that milk supply, right? So certainly then you interferes get, with letdown. Yes. Yeah, and letdown. Um, and then if that's happening and your your baby isn't getting enough, or you just have anxiety about whether baby is getting enough, then you have more anxiety the next time the baby cries or the next time it's time to feed feed the baby. Um, so again, we have this cycle that can either get better or can get worse. Um, I've seen a lot of moms who come in um, to see me and they're very anxious because they've been going in for weight checks um, for breastfeeding. And again, if you, if you started your birth not feeling in control in here, you can't tell how much a baby is eating right, <laughs> compared right. to a bottle, right? So that, even that aspect of breastfeeding can become very problematic for women who just need a sense of control of, I need to see that I'm doing a good job. I need to see that my baby is okay. Um, I can't tell how much she's eating. Uh Maybe there's been a weight check that was just a little bit less than ideal. And they're given, they're given a tiny push from their physician. Hey, just maybe make sure you feed her a little more often. Well, the mom is going to hear that as, oh my God, I'm failing. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say that. Yes, absolutely. Right? right. Yes. And, you know, here's the thing. We've got uh, only a couple of research studies that I'm aware of that talk about, oh, these pre and post weights, uh, it makes the mother feel more confident. It doesn't bother the mother. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't line up with my clinical experience. No. Because what I see is that for women who are experiencing that their baby is being scrutinized in that way, to me, it just looks like performance pressure. And oh, yes. if that is good and they get a good report, then, well, that's really great. But if it is, as you say, couldn't you, well, you know, probably a little more frequently, they really do read that in mm-hmm. the other direction. Before we go to break, though, I just want to mention about the breastfeeding as healing. I don't think I'll ever forget a patient who said to me, well, she didn't say, it was about six months after I had worked with her, I got a lovely handwritten note from her that said, I did everything wrong with my pregnancy and delivery. I couldn't even birth my own baby. I had to have a cesarean. And I'll spare you the details, but yeah, she had a lot of things go wrong. She Mm. said, the only thing that I did right was breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I just so much remember that because... Quite honestly, I kind of had a hard time getting her going with the breastfeeding, but I, I felt that she could do it. I thought she needed some help and encouragement and whatnot. But, you know, for me, that was only a few minutes of my time. But mm. for her, that was huge. It know? was huge. It was absolutely huge. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Dr. Uh, Colby Cohen-Archer. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk 
with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso, and we're talking today with my guest, Dr. Colby Cohen-Archer about uh, birth trauma. And I want to move, please, to talking about mood disorders. And it is my understanding that mood disorders encompasses both anxiety as well as depression, although we usually hear about depression. And I would assume that it would also include postpartum psychosis. Am I kind of right here? You are, yes. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about uh, birth trauma and mood disorders. Okay. So birth trauma, when it leads to post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, that is um, a mood disorder. Um, 
or maybe we should not call it mood disorders, just psychological disorders that happen after pregnancy. Um, And it's one of a number of anxiety disorders. So there's just generalized anxiety disorder, which is when you're anxious and worried about everything, a wide variety of things, not just your baby or yourself, though postpartum, those would be typically the main things. Um, There is panic disorder, so where people have panic attacks uh, at least a couple times a week. And um, these are particularly distressing when they happen around breastfeeding. I'll just say that. Um, I hear that a lot. Mm. Um, But panic disorder is another uh, disorder that happens postpartum. And actually, I'm going to pause for a minute. All of these can happen to anyone anyone at any time, right? Um, The difference during the perinatal time is the way that the content of those worries and the thoughts get focused on parenting, on the baby, on the the mother's sense of how she's doing and on the, the sense of safety around the world. And they can begin in pregnancy and continue into the postpartum period. Or for some women, they really do start very shortly after birth um, and can have a a hormonal component that triggers them. Um, Of course, there's postpartum depression that we hear a lot about. And I think a lot in, um, at least in social media, people confuse other perinatal mood disorders with postpartum depression. Um, I will hear from clients They'll say, oh, well, my mom said I had a tad of the postpartum depression, but she's actually has some other mood disorder and is just really distressed. So I try to educate women about um, depression versus anxiety versus panic attack. Um, I think I mentioned earlier postpartum OCD, um, right, where you have intrusive uh, thoughts or images uh, about scary things, often doing some, some harm or having harm come to your baby. It can be about germs. It can be about sexual issues. There are, there are a number of different uh, really common themes in um, obsessions and the compulsions that follow those. Um, and then, of course, there's postpartum psychosis, which is very rare but very scary and an emergency when it happens. Yes, yes. Yes, I took care of one woman who had a full-blown psychosis, and believe me, it made an impression on me. Yes. Yeah, you don't forget that. No, you don't forget that. You don't you forget re- that. really don't. And, and um, these days, we really see that as most likely um, a, a, a bipolar episode that ha- that's triggered by the hormonal changes in birth. Um, yeah. So, talk to us a little bit about... Uh, breastfeeding, not breastfeeding, and mood disorders, and likely the theme of the today, uh, birth trauma. How would you link up all those things? Well, I guess one way I would link them is through the sense of empowerment of the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We know that, that breast milk is wonderful, that breastfeeding can be wonderful for both the mom and the baby. Um, but we also know that that pressure to breastfeed, uh, women feel that very strongly. And when there are mood disorders that get in the way, or even when there's something that's just not happening in the body, I've had lots of women who say, well, I have only had, I only have 
milk on one side or I'm doing absolutely everything that my 10 lactation consultants have told me to do (laughs) and I my baby is still not getting enough and I'm having to supplement and I feel so guilty and I feel like a failure so um the idea of fed is best breastfeeding is wonderful if you can do it but the mental health of the mom is more important than the breast milk for the baby that's that's my take so if if I can encourage breastfeeding, if women can do it with enough support, it's preferred. But if breastfeeding is causing you anxiety, is causing you to want to avoid your baby or causing you to feel intensely um, tense and anxious when you're holding your baby, which a baby can pick up on, right? Oh, um, most definitely. Then we want, I want to promote any way of the mom feeding her baby that also promotes a sense of bonding and competency and positivity. And so for some women, that is bottle feeding with breast milk. For some women, it's bottle feeding with formula. For some women, it's using a a supplemental system that they attach to their breast, so they're getting breast milk and bottle bottle at the same time, um, or formula at the same time, pardon me. Um, But I really try to take away that that stigma and the pressure that women feel so much from society and and encourage good mental health. And and a piece of that is often discussion about medication. Oh, sure. Um, right? Because most women are afraid to take medicine yes, if they're they breastfeeding. Yes, but they you are. actually can take medicine oh, while you're breastfeeding, right? Um, and so we have lots of discussion about what are the priorities here. The priorities are your bond with your child right. and your child getting fed and your mental health and then breast milk. I say, of course, as related to the medications, I, I'm sure there are some circumstances where maybe that's not possible. But honestly, yeah, uh, of course, there are some. The, there, there are always some circumstances, though, so I, I don't. I shouldn't be quite so cavalier here, but but the likelihood is that if you are working with the right doctor and you have the right dose and the right drug and all of that, the, the it's it's likely, it's likely that the drug is going to be uh, compatible with breastfeeding if you have all of the right things going. As I heard you talking, there were several things that were jumping through my mind, which I would like to bring out for the listeners, and that is notice that you said with enough support and the older I get, the more I think that this support is so gigantically, it's so important. If this person were going to college, if they were running a marathon, if they were in a dance competition, if they were going to the Olympics, whatever it is, if it was something else, we all know how much support Mm -hmm. is helpful and then the, the flip side of what you just said, you did not use this word, but I will. I think there is a lot of shaming done. Yes. And that is not on the woman. I'm sorry. That is on the healthcare provider, society, the media, whatever. But it is it is one of those things that is kind of just plopped on top of her head. And then she feels like she needs to wear that shame. Mm -hmm. And this would be a good time for me to say 
the World Health Organization has said very clearly multiple times, some breastfeeding is better than no breastfeeding. Mm. And so I think that a lot of women think that they have to do it. They have to do it six months. They have to do it exclusively. They have to do it perfectly. And I would say, do it. You know, that's great. <laughs> but do whatever you can do. Do whatever you can do. And um, I personally have helped people to formula feed if that's what they need to do at the moment. And very often I will temper that with this doesn't necessarily need to be forever. Maybe for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's not as though all is lost if it's like not this ideal thing, because here's the thing. I think we have this idealization of what the birthing experience is going to be like. And in what you've just told us today, clearly there's a lot of people that don't have that ideal experience. Mm-hmm. And the, I, no, I'm not the psychologist here, but I'm assuming that that really does spill over into that postpartum identity thing that you were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Yes. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, we want we want women to develop a sense of herself as a capable mother. Yes. Um, and capable doesn't just mean feeding your child. It also means being able to feed, feed yourself, um, take care of whatever you would normally take care of in the home. It means attending to your relationship, other children, other children work, yeah. and, and that's hard. Right. It's hard. Um, Can you give us some tips on how if I'm the mother who is experiencing all of these uh, sort of difficult moments here, what what kind of tips can you give me? Great question. Um, The first is if you have a sense that something is not right, it's probably not right. Yeah. No matter what anybody else tells you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say two things. One is that women know when something's not right. Yes, they do. The other thing, I'm going to contradict myself here, is that just as many women who are totally informed about postpartum mood disorders, maybe even work in the field, will experience one and not realize it. And those seem contradictory. But there are some subtle messages that are out there that contribute to this. And one of those is that Um, A major symptom of postpartum depression is not being interested in your baby. Well, that's true for some women, but not Not all women. Plenty of women love and are connected with their babies and are still experiencing postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And so women will say, well, I, I didn't want to kill my baby and I love my baby, so therefore... I can't be experiencing a postpartum mood disorder. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a psychological phenomena where if we don't admit it to ourselves, it's, and we, it's probably not true, right? If I can dress up and put on makeup and look like I have all my stuff together, then I can try to convince myself that I do. And many women are pretty good at that. Um, but if you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that no matter how good she looks, she does not feel solid inside. And um, so, so just know, if you're listening to this and this is you, that help is available. Because it really, it is available. And therapy is, it's so effective. Um, so just kind of that self-validation is important. 
Another thing I is, I want to add to that that just because your doctor says you're okay doesn't mean you are. Absolutely. I've absolutely. seen that too, where the doctor is like, oh, no, you're fine. You're in here for your six weeks checkup. You're great. You're set. You're good to go. And it's like, oh, no, doc, you just totally missed the boat here. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Or I, I hear from some of my clients that they did tell their physician that they were worried, for example, mm-hmm. or that they were crying a little bit. And we know, I didn't mention earlier, but baby blues happens about to about 80% of women the first two weeks after birth. And that's where you just kind of randomly cry or are very emotional and it's hormonal. And so the hormones are, are evening out over those first two weeks. And so, you know, typically, um, the first contacts with the doctor, I guess they're really the pediatrician, but, um, women will tell to their providers, well, I've been kind of weepy or I'm really a little bit nervous and they'll be told, well, that's normal. You're adjusting to motherhood. But it's not. Um, If it's rising to the level of telling your caregiver, there's probably a little bit more going on. Um, So I always say that when the milk comes in is about the time the tears come in. Yeah. I mean, it's big hormones. I think a big difference is that people with with baby blues, it's really for a very limited amount of time. It is. But they also have the good things along with the bad things. Yes. Whereas with the depression, they're more likely to be in the dumps pretty much. All the time. All of the time. Right. And And anxious. And anxious. Yeah. Yeah. People think, well, I'm not laying on the, I'm not laying in bed, not able to get up. But postpartum depression typically is a pretty anxious depression, so women would be more likely to be pacing the floor than laying in the bed. We have only a minute or so left. Can you quickly run down for us what types of professional help are available? Yes. So there are psychologists, social workers, counselors. There's therapy that's available, um, talk therapy, narrative therapy where you tell your story, which is a really big piece of helping um, trauma, being able to tell your story and feel the feelings really helps to heal the brain. Um, there's something called EMDR, which is my eye movement desensitization, which is a validated treatment for, for trauma. Um, wow. There's medication. There's social support, which is huge. Being able to talk to other women who've gone through something similar has a huge healing effect. Um, and um, really doing even... Again, self-validating, talking to yourself, journaling, having support from friends and family. Those actually, they do go a long way um, to help that healing process. Um, Wow. And it's possible to feel better. That's sort of my main thing that I try to tell people. If you're not feeling right, it is possible to feel better. You just have to find the right the right providers and the right support systems. Oh, I would echo that so much. Wow, what a day it has been with Dr. Colby Cohen-Archer. Thank you so much for being with us today. You are most welcome. It's been a pleasure. And for those of you who are listening, just remember, I'll be here next week with a different guest. But in the meanwhile, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.